0: We're going uh, to be in Matthew chapter 21 this morning, Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 11, Matthew 21, 1 to 11. All right, Matthew 21. And the title is, An Act of Humility. An Act of Humility. And that's the thing, emotions are real. <laughs> just, emotions are real. I just want to validate that fact before I say what I'm going to say, because people have emotions, and emotions happen, right? Like uh, Whether it's angry, anxious, sad, content, happy, and there are many subcategories to, to these emotions. And I met quite a few people who like pride themselves on not crying, during movies, right? Not crying during. Oh, I never cry. Never have. No, never will. But like, it's a badge of honor, you know. And uh, and they act like they're unemotional. But I found oftentimes that those who don't cry during movies maybe have some other emotions that they don't see as emotions, like anger or something, you know. Like emotions in themselves, they're not bad, right? I mean, I God created us to actually have emotions. Jesus had emotions. He wept over Jerusalem. He felt sorrow in the garden. He had righteous anger as he was turning over tables in the courtyard. Uh, There are valid emotions, but on the flip side of the coin, emotions can easily lead people astray. Many of the crimes actually and murders that occur are called crimes of passion. Emotions pervade the criminal justice system like crazy. Being led by emotions can lead to all kinds of uh, intense atrocities. And on the opposite end of that emotional spectrum, if we're talking about whether it's depression or sadness, then we have to face the fact that these emo- emotions can be so deep and bad that they are, they as well can lead to some altering actions. And But the point is that this. Emotions are real and given by God, but we're not to let pure emotion lead our lives and decision-making. And for that, we'll look at 2 Corinthians 5-7 really quick. 2 Corinthians 5-7 which Paul writes, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, faith has to do with the spiritual and the way in which God leads our lives and decision-making, but sight has to do with our senses, with our feelings, and with our emotions. Jesus said to Thomas, remember Thomas, right? Everyone, unfortunately, this guy got Doubting Thomas as a title of the rest of history, but Doubting Thomas. He was, in John 20, 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you know, you have believed. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so what this means is that those who believe and have not seen are blessed because they believe in spite of their feelings. Feelings actually can lie, and they often do. And that's the thing, you guys, like the enemy wants nothing more than for you to follow your heart rather than following God's will. The enemy wants you to do what feels right to you and forget the consequences. And the world wants you to join them in their ungodly living and carnal ways of gossip and slander and all those things. Your flesh wants those emotions to be acted upon without thinking things through. Just go ahead. Your flesh will cause you to take rash action and it never ends well. Moody said, he said, and I 100% agree with this, he said... Obedience means marching on whether we feel like it or not. Many times we go against our feelings. Faith is one thing, feeling is another. Now many people are not faithful to God because they walk by feelings first. Uh, and Watchman Nee, a great commentator, he said, Human feelings change as the world changes. They, their easy excitement can occasion a saint to lose their spiritual balance. Their constant disturbance can affect a believer's peace in his or her spirit. So faith will dissipate if you're running on just emotions. And what we're going to see this morning is that the whole crowd in Jerusalem was all about feelings and this religious excitement. They were amped up, they were hyped and feeling good as the crowd fed off of each other feelings-wise. It was like an adrenaline boost as endorphins were active and firing like crazy. But really what this whole scene shows us is that the, the, the feeling influenced by others can be so ungodly. You ever been negatively influenced? And maybe even a subtle, in a subtle way. You don't even know it. You're like, wait a second, I'm, I'm saying stuff like that, like that person said, well, that's not a good thing. Like, we don't walk by feelings and then hopefully faith follows, right? We walk by faith and then feelings follow. It's faith in Christ first. And and with this crowd, it is actually a sad story. Yet we know that we know the whole story, and what Jesus would actually go through would lead to the story of what the Bible is all about, which is redemption. And this year, as I was looking at Jesus entering Jerusalem, also known as the triumphal entry, also modernly called Palm Sunday, like I was looking at Jesus's action and this prophecy being fulfilled. And one of the main things we see is humility. Humility. This whole event screams humility. For Jesus could have rode into Jerusalem on a giant horse with armor from head to toe, claiming himself to be the rightful king. That's what the Roman warriors would do, and they'd ride into Jerusalem having just conquered their enemies. It would be like this epic scene. But Jesus rode, or he, Jesus chose the road of humility, and he's our example. <laughs> And so from all visible appearances, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt would, would not have looked that impressive at all. Right? But knowing that Jesus would be mocked, criticized, crucified, Jesus could have hid from the crowd, crowds of people. He could have just said, forget this. Instead, he courageously fulfilled prophecy by riding into Jerusalem. And see, being courageous doesn't mean a person is prideful. Being humble doesn't mean a person is a pushover. Jesus was courageous, yet he had a humble heart. And there's a balance, like in serving the Lord, and there's a way in which to live that is an example to unbelievers, and that's actually like, I, I want that. It's like, that's like attractive to them in a sense. Like a believer acting like the world, though, will not win over souls, right? Like in order to stand out or let our light shine, like we live, talk, and act differently. Why? Well, it's how the Lord designed it. I mean, see, Jesus didn't demand the crowds worship him. He didn't force them. He didn't, he didn't actually say anything as he rode down this road into Jerusalem. And that's the thing for, for the believer, biblically, the way down, or the way up is down. The way up is down. Jesus rode down that hill into Jerusalem, symbolizing that he had no haughtiness or heart of conceit. And what we're going to see is a humble heart that was uh, exposed and publicly visible, where, where Jesus would, for the first and only time, allow others to worship him as a Messiah, allow the whole crowd. So Jesus riding in Jerusalem on a colt was incredibly significant. And it's written in all four Gospels. And I just want to point out a few things that we're going to see in what is known as a triumphal entry. Number one, we're going to see quick obedience from the disciples. Quick obedience. We're going to see reverence, worship, and we're going to see that the crowd was emotionally moved. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the word. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to assemble together in your name, Lord, to learn about your heart, your will, and your ways. We just pray that you would teach us this morning that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point, the city of Jerusalem was filled with like 2 million people. And they, they were in Jerusalem to commemorate Passover, because of the event that took place a couple thousand, fifteen hundred 1500 years earlier, remember Pharaoh's heart was hardened, which caused God to send a series of plagues to Egypt, and the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn in every home. And the only way a family could escape this tragedy was to slaughter a lamb and mark the top, the sides, and the bottom of their door with blood. This painted a prophetic picture, it was of the cross, that would one day save all mankind from the curse of sin and death. And so here, Jesus, the Passover lamb, he heads into Jerusalem where he will orchestrate a massive public demonstration as he offers himself as the king of Israel. So verse 1, uh, Matthew 21 says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, And a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. So we see quick obedience. Now, we see Jesus didn't hide. He entered Jerusalem in the most exposed way he could, like everyone would see him. And remember, normally Jesus moved quietly and, and he preferred obscurity, often telling people after he healed them, tell no one. Right? By Jesus publicly riding into Jerusalem, the Jews could never say, well, if we only had the opportunity to embrace you as king, we would have done so. This action of Jesus really uh, stripped away any excuses from the Jewish nation. Jesus was a messiah, the lamb that would be slain, and here it's proven publicly. Jesus chose the perfect moment to ride into Jerusalem when all the people were singing and filled with like expectations. you know. And what we see in these verses is Jesus told the disciples, hey, go get a donkey and a colt. And Jesus would have rode on the colt with a mother walking beside. Uh, the donkey was the royal animal for Jewish monarchs, actually. And one sign of humility is the fact that Jesus this is mind-blowing to me Jesus had a had a need. He had a need. Jesus didn't lay aside his sovereignty, but he had taken on the nature that was filled with needs like us. <laughs> we're needy, right? Yet Jesus was still the Lord and he still led his followers. The prophecies that were fulfilled were Zechariah 9:9 9, 9, and Daniel 9:24 to 27. So, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks at this exact day of the triumphal entry. And it says, Your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. Someone said that Jesus came into Jerusalem with humility and with dignity. Humility and dignity. He was proclaiming Messiahship, fulfilling scripture at the same time he approached the city in a, a peaceful posture. And this was a triumph of humility over pride. Humility over pride. And this moment, it wasn't about uh, worldly status or fame. This moment was about meekness and gentleness and the opportunity to see and believe in the Messiah. Yet this time, Jesus was riding on a donkey or riding on a colt, but, but when he comes back, what's going to happen? He'll be riding a white horse, followed by 10,000 of, of his saints. Jude 14. The first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. The next time he comes, it will be as a conquering king. And then what we see in verse 7 and 8 is reverence. It says, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And the very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So even though Jesus had an air of humility as he rode into Jerusalem, still he was honored as a triumphant person. In the season of Passover, and I say person, because many honored him, but not as a Messiah. Sometimes people honor others for the wrong reasons. Maybe to get something from them or to try and look respectful, yet having the wrong heart. But the people spread their clothes on the road, which signified recognition of of loyalty. And this was This is what the subjects would do when kings came into the city. You know, they'd actually like carve out the road. They would walk the road, ride the road first and make sure there's no divots or rocks or anything. They make sure the road is smooth, right? They made way and they put palm branches clothes on the road. They made sure it was all good for the king to ride in. And that's the thing. Carrying palm branches was a symbol of victory and success, of victory and success. And so the crowd—they were really joyful. They were upbeat and inc- they were incredibly enthusiastic. So it's great that the crowd was excited. Yet, you guys, the most most of the crowd didn't have their faith in the Messiah that was prophesied about. You know, many in this crowd would later yell five days later, "Crucify him!" rather than praising him. So from the outside, it looked like a revival. It looked amazing, right? But on the other hand. Jesus would have been actually seen as ridiculous to the Roman eyes, because, you know, Pilate would have seen Jesus riding into Jerusalem down that hill on this on this coal, thinking, there's no way this guy's going to upset Caesar, like, we definitely don't have to fear him, you know, he's lowly, like, there's no power that he's portraying, and this Jesus does not look threatening. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, A Jerusalem humbly, yet prophetically, which to the believer is incredibly powerful, because... He is the king, but he didn't come to overturn the Romans. He came to share truth and accomplish God's will in humility. The people, they were outwardly reverent towards Jesus, right? Like, yet their actions were adrenaline-based and emotionally uh, triggered, to use a modern-day term, right? Now, before we go judging the crowd and casting stones, like, we as well we've been led by emotions from time to time right if if we're honest with ourselves we've we've gotten angry or offended and acted without thinking uh, last week you know I, I made an appointment at this place that replaces windshields for my front windshield for, for the car i bought so on friday morning my wife and i we drove our cars uh, to drop off my car to get it replaced and uh, lo and behold they ordered the windshield but it didn't come in it was supposed to be in two days now it's like oh it won't be here for 10 days and uh, and I was not overcome with joy or happiness <laughs> because it was kind of far away too. We drove, and I had to go to work, so we were trying to like rush in. And I was thinking, I'm I was thinking as he told me this, and, and he looked rather stoic. And I was just, I, I'm never coming back here again. I can't believe, you know, thinking all those things that you do. It's like in the flesh because, really, it was 30 minutes from our home. I had to get to work, like I was in a rush. It was taking forever. But but then the owner started telling me that a close family member of his was dying and he doesn't have much time left and as he was sharing and I was listening I was praying in my heart I was like Lord I'm praying for him and his family like when he was done sharing I asked if I could pray for him he said yes please because he was, he looked like he was about to you know cry so I, I prayed and I left without a windshield and I told my wife and daughters yeah, we didn't come here for the windshield Right? We came here to pray for someone who is struggling. And I would have never known that if I blew up or said, I can't believe this, or you know what I mean? I would have missed that whole opportunity. And so we prayed for someone rather than getting this windshield, and which is far more important, like if I acted on my emotions, it would not have been good. And I would have missed the opportunity to intercede for a person like struggling. But thank the Lord, I didn't act rationally or out of frustration. Thank you Lord for his self-control, you know. But his name is Tommy, and, and you know, I wanna, I'm praying for his family. I'm going to see him tomorrow and see how he's doing. But it's just a reminder. It was a convicting to me because I was like, I need to walk by faith. What am I doing? I'm letting, I don't want to let my emotions or frustration or short fuse, you know, because we're just a microwave society. I don't want to let that get in the way of what God wants to do because often the biggest roadblock in our lives is not other people. It's ourselves. But we want to walk by faith, walk by faith, not by feelings. Feelings will follow. We've got to walk by faith first. And then what we see in verse 9 is we see worship. It says, Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so worship, Hosanna, Son of David. Now these words are our public uh, messianic adoration of Jesus. Hosanna means save now. And this title was used for kings, as seen in 2 Samuel and 2 Kings. But this singing was actually a quote from Psalm 118, 25 and 26. It's a messianic, it's messianic in character. Psalm 118, 25 and 26 says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Later that week, Jesus himself would would refer to this psalm and apply it to himself. like Jesus did not discourage this worship or adoration of himself at this point because this was the day that the Messiah came into Jerusalem fulfilling the prophecy. So the title Hosanna, it's really a cry for help and a cry for deliverance. It's worship and praise in the form of desperation from a people who needed help in their time of trouble. Save now, in the minds of those in Jerusalem meant being saved from the Roman oppression politically and and, uh, economically and militarily. The Jews wanted saving, but most wanted physical saving. They weren't thinking about their souls. And so at this point, the religious leaders knew they had to destroy this Jesus because the crowd was looking to him, not them. And there were three groups in Jerusalem at this point, Putting all four gospels together, right? They complement, they don't contradict each other, they complement one another. Putting all four gospels together at this event, the Jews who lived in Jerusalem were there, the crowd from Galilee were there, and those who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead were there. And so the Jews, they did not see Jesus as their king. Why? Well, the religious leaders robbed them of the truth and instead instituted uh, religious traditions. See, the religious leaders, they were not interested in truth. They were interested in protecting their interests. And the longer they resisted the truth, the more they were blinded. And, and a good verse to go along with this is John 12:35. Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. We see this in a physical sense as well, right? Like 50% of fatal traffic accidents happen at night. Violent crimes mostly happen at night. Or think of it on a small scale. Walking around your home in the dark, you're more likely to hit your shin or a piece of furniture that you, you knew it was there, but it was dark, so you couldn't see. And here's the thing I love the Deep South. I'm gonna preface this from what I'm about to say. I love the I love living in Mobile. It's very, it's, it's great. It's, we, lo- I love it a lot more than uh, Southern California. I do. We've grown a lot, uh, grown in love a lot for living here. But one thing we really had to get used to: there are not many street lights at night. Like driving around. It's kind of scary. At first, it was scary. I'm fine now, but no. But it's it's dark, right? Like out west, there were streetlights everywhere you went, right? You hardly, uh, you you never saw streets without streetlights, and that's why there's way less roadkill as well. But, <laughs> but, but because there's roadkill everywhere. like we drove here. We drove at night for our first time, and we were like, like, are we on on like in a nightmare on Elm Street, like, or something? Like, what is going on? I mean, it was freaky. But anyway. It's dark. It's dark at night. But every time we drive and we do an errand, there, there's a dead possum or an armadillo or some kind of animal <laughs> most likely killed at night by a car that didn't see them. But you can't see well when it's dark. And, you know, and that's the thing you gotta think about. It, like unbelievers, they're in the dark spiritually. They can't see. They don't have the element of faith to illuminate their hearts and help them to see reality. So many resisted the truth even though Here in these verses, it seems like a whole city believed. Everyone, you know, so many people in the world like may say that they're Christian, but they may not be Christ followers. It may just be an external, outward kind of thing rather than a deep heart thing. And here's the thing, you guys, they were emotionally moved. There's no doubt. In verse 10 and 11, it says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet for Nazareth of Galilee. So when you come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. And there was emotion coming from the crowd, yes. It's like, and again, Jesus was very you know, courageous to publicly ride into Jerusalem for all to see him because the chief priests and the Pharisees had been plotting to kill him. And when Jesus, the king, arrived, the whole city, they were stirred, uh, and, and which means moved, which is translated... It's where we get our word uh, seismic, seismic. In other words, Matthew writes that the whole city was, was shaken and affected mentally and emotionally when Jesus made his entry. It's like an earthquake. Remember, after Christ was crucified, it, the, the earth shook, it went dark. It, it reminds me of Southern California. There's earthquakes, right? We've been through a couple, and you, you can't really... Uh, prepare for it. It just happens. You're like, whoa, this is happening. It's kind of intense. So that's kind of the mentality of the uh, crowd in Jerusalem at this time. But unfortunately, it was a surface level. It was a deep-hearted faith. And remember, it was Jerusalem that Jesus had looked upon and wept because he knew the judgment that was coming upon them. He wept. Remember that verse, Jesus wept. It says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, So this lines up with the earlier identification of Jesus of Nazareth, and this would have sounded weird to the religious establishment that the prophet would actually come from this unnoticed, insignificant town of Nazareth. Again, it points to humility. Though this whole event is doused with humility, and it lacks arrogance on the part of Jesus. He rode in with humility, yet with dignity. When I was in Jerusalem, we walked down the path where Jesus would have would have rode down, and it was pretty steep. and And as you're walking down it, you look off to the left, and you see the whole city. It is so beautiful, you know. It is amazing, right? And so I I I set up a canvas and did a painting. No, I'm kidding. I took a picture of it (laughs) these days. But it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, And see, this is one of the. This was all beautiful on the outside, right? But but most hearts were fueled by emotion rather than fueled by faith. And this part's sad, hence why Jesus wept. The shortest you know, verse in the Bible it has the biggest impact in relation to God's heart. He, Jesus wept. He has a heart you know, for the lost. Yet again, we know the whole story of Jesus. Like We know Jesus would offer himself up, be hung up. He'd be put in a tomb. He'd rise again, therefore claiming victory, victory over sin Death and spiritual destruction. Victory over everything that people in this world fear. Therefore, we don't have to fear. There's no fear in love. God is love. It's amazing. And, and this moment, it was all hyped up, but it was, it was about God's plan coming to pass. It was about a king on a cold. It was about a heart of humility. And many in the crowd will turn against Jesus in anger with vengeful hearts, Because they weren't led by faith. They were led by feelings and anger and adrenaline. I mean, they were led by their own hearts rather than God's will. And really, this whole scene reminds me of what was said about the religious leaders in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus said of them, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so, guys, we need to walk in the light. Stay close to Jesus. Don't buy into the hype of the crowd. Don't buy into the hype of the crowd. Let, let the Lord influence you. You know, let let the Lord lead and guide you. Don't let uh, don't let over emotional and over opinionated voices sway you in a way that you would question God's truth. Get together with people who love the Lord, who know the Word, who will give you Scripture, who will give you those hard truths, because that's a true friend. Someone who won't skirt around the truth and try to just tell you stuff to make you feel good, but tell you the the, the facts of the Word of God. Some people's opinions become their Bibles, and it's a horrible place to be, and it stems from pride. It stems from arrogance and thinking that they know more than everyone else that Pride is thinking one knows more than what God has laid out. And that's just crazy to think about, right? No. (laughs) Like, humility is knowing that we know nothing without the Lord. And we're not afraid to admit it. We're not afraid to say, "I, I don't know, but God knows. So stick close to him. And that's what trust is. That's what walking by faith is. We don't know all the answers, but you know who does? God. He knows all the answers. And he has the story of my whole life already written out from beginning to end. I was even thinking this morning, and sometimes those things I take for granted, I think, and I thank God for because I'm like, thank you, Lord, I'm breathing again today. You know, I was going on a walk around my neighborhood. This weather is amazing, right? I was talking with someone earlier. This is like no humidity right now. It's just like Thank you, Lord, for another day. You gave me breath in my lungs again. I'm able to go on a walk and be with my family and be with my church family, and and I'm so blessed by that. And so he knows what he's doing. He is the creator. He has all the answers. Um, He sent his son to ride in to publicly be worshipped, but we can worship him with genuine hearts of love, truly believing in who he is, and walk by faith, not by feelings. Feelings will follow, but faith needs to come first. And so we can sing Hosanna in the highest, with a genuine, faith-filled heart, and we can worship, truly worship the King. Amen?